us together in this hour. Uh, and I just pray that you would open your word to us, help us to learn the lesson that we can glean from from your message through through the prophet Ezekiel. Uh, we're just thankful for the freedom that we have to gather together like this and just pray that you would put your hand of protection upon us. And we ask for your blessing and, and your wisdom as we look into your word this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome, everybody. Uh, it's good to see you back. Uh, thank you for the week off last week. And in our study of Ezekiel, we've been talking about the judgment on the nations in the book of Ezekiel. It's kind of divided into, into several sections. And the first part that we went through up through uh, chapter 23 or 24, somewhere around in there, talked about the judgment coming upon the nation of Israel, uh, what she had done, what Israel had done to deserve the punishment that was coming, and also some of the nuts and bolts and details about how God was going to use the Babylonians to punish Israel for her disobedience and her worship of idols. Uh, you know, defying the first two commandments that God had given them in the law. And, and this punishment came, was coming quickly. Uh, we're, we, where we are at in our study of Ezekiel, we are nearing the time. Ezekiel has already received a message uh, that, the na- that the city of Jerusalem is under siege by Nebuchadnezzar. So that's where we're at historically. Uh, in our study. Uh, Israel still has not yet fallen. Uh, so during this period of time after the siege started, uh, Ezekiel's message, or God's message through Ezekiel, uh, changed and the focus shifted from Israel uh, to the nations. You know, it wasn't just Israel that was going to be punished, but God was going to punish those nations that caused difficulties to Israel. And we've talked about, Ezekiel talks about seven of these nations. And we're now down to the seventh nation, which is Egypt. So that's the title of our message, uh, Judgment on Egypt. So turn in Ezekiel chapter 29, and we'll start there. Ezekiel 29, verses 1 and 2 says, In the tenth year, in the tenth month, on the twelfth of the month, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and prophesy against him and against all Egypt. So again, this is identifying Egypt as the subject of this prophecy. It gives a very specific date, the 10th month on the 12th of the month in the 10th year. And again, that 10th year refers to the 10th year of Jehoiachin's uh, being king. Again, Egypt, or not Egypt, Ezekiel, (laughs) uh, identifies his dates from the beginning of the kingship of Jehoiachin, uh, kind of ignoring uh, the... Uh, puppet king that was set up by the Babylonians in in Jerusalem. So here we have a specific date, and as you go through this chapter, there's a lot of specific dates mentioned. This this prophecy against Egypt didn't come all in one sitting; it actually took place over a couple of years. Uh, so you know, keep that in mind as we go through this as well. Uh, and it's all been put together here in the book in the way that it has because it's all related to the same kind of topic. Now, you know, again, I mentioned, you know, last lesson I taught was about the judgment upon Tyre. And actually this prophecy came to Ezekiel about three months prior to uh, the prophecy about the uh, destruction of Tyre. You know, again, we are close to the end of the period of time before uh, Jerusalem falls. Uh, Again, that occurs in the 12th year, in the 10th month of the 12th year. And we'll see that happening in a a future lesson here. 
where we talk about that. So these nations around Israel that are subject to these prophecies about destruction, again, we've talked about several of them, the uh, kingdom of Ammon, Moab, Eden, uh, the city, uh, city-state of Tyre, uh, the, the Philistine states down there, uh, all, all these have, have been addressed. And now we're, we're talking about Egypt. In uh, Egypt, obviously isn't on this map, so let me expand my map a little bit. I'm going to make this kind of a geopolitical lesson. It's, I don't have a really deep theological thing to teach here. We'll, we'll make it relevant to our lives, but I just want to help us understand, again, what's happening in this world around this time. And in order to understand this, we have to kind of understand the people groups that are in play here. And the first one that is mentioned a lot and that has is waning uh, is the Assyrian Empire. Uh, the Assyrians were a people group that were very prominent. Uh, we know that, that the northern tribes of Israel were taken in captivity uh, in about 790 B.C. Uh, by the Assyrians and dispersed completely. And, and they really were completely dispersed. They are no longer, you know, from the time of, of the northern tribes' captivity by the Assyrians, they were no longer in the land. Uh, but they were dispersed throughout all the nations, you know, just throughout the Assyrian Empire. But the Assyrian Empire reached, was very far-reaching in the Middle East. And the time period on this picture, is you can see it up there in the top corner, uh, you know, 745 to 609 B.C. is, is the, the time of the, the peak of the Assyrian Empire. And that's quite a, uh, quite a span of time. And, and 609 B.C. kind of gets it close to uh, the period of time that we're talking about with the Babylonian Empire rising. So this was the, the first big conquest uh, of this portion of the world. And it reached all the way down into Egypt. And this, this conquest of Egypt by the Assyrians comes into play here in the things that we're going to be talking about today in this prophecy against Assyria or against Egypt. So from there, as time went on, other nations and other people groups uh, came into play a little bit in the Middle East, what we refer to as the Middle East. And, and by following the Assyrian dominance, uh, it was Babylon that became dominant in the land. And there were other nations and other people groups. And you see here Egypt is identified. Egypt's power in the Middle East grew as, kind of grew as the Assyrians waned. Uh, so Egypt became kind of strong in, in the area. And it doesn't really re reflect it in this map. But uh, here in the time period that we're in, in, a, in about 600 uh, B.C., uh, the Babylonians were the major influence. The Assyrians had, had kind of died out. Uh, the Persians and the Medes, uh, as referred to in the Bible, this Median Empire, uh, was growing. And as we all know from, from our history, and, and you know, we've talked about it a little bit, in the, in the prophecies of Daniel, uh, if you remember the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9 of the statue that, that, that they saw, the, the, the different kings, and I should have had a slide to show this, but I don't, uh, you know, the, the head of gold uh, was the Babylonian Empire, this vision that was given to King Nebuchadnezzar. The, the head of gold was the, the Babylonian Empire, and that would be replaced by the Medes and the Pers uh, Persians. The, the, this Median Empire would defeat the Babylonians, and that happened about 500, in the vicinity of 500 B.C. So, so that happened, uh, well, 540, I think, was closer to the date. So, so the Babylonians uh, were defeated by the Medes and the Persians, and they in turn were defeated by the Greeks, 
who grew in power, and that was Alexander when he established the, the Greek kingdom through, do I have a slide on that? I don't. Uh, it, so the Greek, the Greeks replaced the Medes and the Persians, and then the Romans replaced the Greeks. Uh, and they lasted through, and including the, the time of Christ, and, and for a couple hundred years after that, they were very influential. So that's kind of a 70,000-foot a view, if you will, of, of the, the uh, geopolitical climate of what was happening in this period of time and, and in this area. So where we are, again, is here when, when Babylonia was was prominent and controlled the the area where Jerusalem is and and what God had promised Abraham in this area the Egyptians were waning uh in this period of time uh the Egyptians were in what's referred to as the 26th dynasty uh which you know again wasn't real prominent in the world and they were waning uh, Egypt's uh, expanse into the Near East uh, was was earlier in this period. They did have a lot of influence and a lot of cooperation with the with the Assyrians, as as they were also fairly prominent. And that and that relationship between the Assyrians and the Egyptians kind of lasted through the Babylonian. Empire, or at least until Babylonia defeated everyone. Uh, yeah, I'll get into that later. So, I'm, but one one of the things that happened in this time, as Babylonia was pushing Assyria out, is that Assyria looked to uh, have affiliations with other nations to protect her interests, to kind of maintain her influence in the in this area. So. Assyria reached out to Egypt and said, "Hey, give us a hand here. You know, we've been friends for hundreds of years. Let's let's work together to uh, counteract this influence that the Babylonians are having in this area that's been ours for hundreds of years." So the Egyptians did did come into the Middle East. Uh, they controlled large portions of of what we refer to as the Promised Land, and and all this kind of back and forth between the Babylonians and the Assyrian-Egyptian alliance uh, resulted in several battles. One of the key battles in this alliance uh, was at Carchemish, which occurred, this battle with, with the Egyptians and Assyrians occurred in, a, in an area called Carchemish, uh, and that area is up identified right here in the northern part uh, of what is now Syria near the Syria-Turkish border. So that battle occurred in 605 BC and if you remember the timelines that I've presented to you that's pretty solidly in Ezekiel's time. And at that battle uh, the Egyptian forces were decimated uh, by the Babylonians. It was a very intense battle uh, but the overwhelming Babylonian forces defeated completely the Egyptians. And, and some historical records from this period indicate that not a single Egyptian, and this isn't entirely true either, but not a single Egyptian warrior uh, made it back to their homeland following this battle or this series of battles in Carchemish in 605 BC. So at that point, Egypt pretty much retreated from all of its influence down to, uh, you know, her native area down around the Nile River and, and remained there. But her influence in the world, I mean, Egypt, when we think of Egypt, we think of grand palaces and temples and pyramids and, and all of the things that we associate with Egypt that indicate that her wealth and her power was very very broad in that period of time. But from that battle on, her influence kind of slowly diminished over the next several centuries. And, uh, you know, while Egypt is a nation today, uh, she's not head and shoulders 
more wealthy or more influential in that in that area uh, like we envision that she was in, in previous millennia. So, you know, the, the influence here ebbs and flows, and, and, you know, I guess, you know, who's who's influential in that area now? And uh, I don't even want to go to modern day, so I'm going to stay away from that. I, there's a rabbit trail that would take us the rest of our <laughs> lives to figure out. So that's where we are. Uh, this battle in 605 B.C. at Carchemish between the armies of the Babylonians and the Egyptians, uh, the the commander of the army of Babylonia was a guy that we know pretty well. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, so he, as a result of this battle, he ended up becoming king of Babylon at that point in time. So that's where his he had a lot of influence and, and everything prior to that, but that's when he became king, was following that conquest of the nation of Egypt and and Assyria pretty much disappeared after that as well. So yeah, I can take a breath. Uh so that's kind of where where things were. So now we hear uh God speaking through Ezekiel, saying, and going back to our text in chapter 29, verse 3, Speak and say, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great monster that lies in the midst of its rivers, that has said, The Nile is mine, and I myself have made it. Now, we all know that Egyptian pharaohs were considered gods. And it's not just that the people around them considered them gods. They considered themselves gods. There is no doubt that, that when you became a pharaoh of Egypt, that identification as a deity came with it. And you, I don't want to put myself in the mind of a pharaoh of Egypt, but they really truly believed that they were gods, that they became gods. That, that all of the Nile, all of the stuff that was, that was around them that displayed their wealth and their power and their influence, all this happened as a result of them willing it to happen. And God here in this verse is saying, you didn't make that. I mean, that's a phrase we've heard in this country. You didn't make that. Well, you know, it, it, in our circumstances, we know that God controls all of this. You know, it's not the village that made it, but but it is God that controls the influence and the power that nations have. And he is telling Egypt here in this verse, I am against you, Pharaoh of Egypt, because you have claimed for your own that which I have made. God made the Nile. God created that area that made that nation wealthy. God allowed that government to exist. God allowed that government to maintain power and, and become powerful and influential and wealthy, just like he is now in our in our study doing kind of the same thing with Babylon. He is giving Babylon strength in order to carry out his wishes against Israel and and the punishment that he's inflicting upon Jerusalem he has given power to to Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians in order to carry out his will in the world so we need to understand and Egypt did not understand that it's God who brings this wealth God brings the rain God brings the Nile God brings the floods that replenish the land everything there that they they identified with Pharaoh the God and the and the many uh polyistic or polydeistic concepts that they had. They worshiped frogs, they worshiped the water. If you go back to the, the plagues of Egypt, the nine plagues, each one of those plagues was targeted specifically to a deity that the that the Egyptians worshipped, the from turning the river to blood, that, that was an attack on the, the worship of the Nile itself. 
They worship frogs. They, God brought frogs as a plague. All of these uh, attacked a specific deity in the Egyptian world. And if we go back to that, what, what was the purpose for all of those? Was, was the sole purpose for those plagues just to get Israel out of Egypt? Well, no. <laughs> it was so that the whole world would know that I am God. God brought down each one of the gods of Egypt so that he would be able to prove to the world that he was over these lesser gods. These lesser gods, small g gods, capital G God, proved who he was through these plagues in Egypt. And he's doing the same kind of thing in in the book of Ezekiel. We notice as we've read, and I've pointed out several times, so many times through this, uh, God says to the, to the people that he's talking to and addressing, and they will know that I am God, either the, the people in Jerusalem, uh, the, the, the people in, in the dispersia, the, 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 you know, those that have left and been driven out of Jerusalem, the people around them, uh, each one of these nations, when he brought judgment against them, he he says that he's doing this so that they will know uh, that I am God. And we'll see that in this passage as well as we talk about Egypt. Uh, continuing on in our passage, uh, In Ezekiel 29, verses 8 and 10, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring upon you a sword. I will cut you off. I will cut from you man and beast. The land of Egypt will become a desolation and waste, and they will know that I am the Lord. Because you said the Nile is mine and I have made it, therefore, behold, I am against you and against your rivers and I will make the land of Egypt an utter waste and desolation from Migdal to Cyrene and even to the border with Ethiopia. So in verses 8 through 12, earlier in this chapter, we had kind of a poetic dissertation of, of, of God's judgment upon Israel. But here we're getting a little more practical and what he's saying here is that he's going to be sending an invading army that will conquer the nation. Uh, from Syene to Ethiopia, the destruction will be so complete that it will be uninhabited for 40 years. Uh, and this is a reference, the, the, this army that's going to come against him will be a reference uh, to, to Nebuchadnezzar, who at this time, again, was expanding his territory and influence and was, was now turning his attention to Egypt. And, and if you want cross-references for this, yeah, you can find, find these messages and stories in, in 2 Kings 24, verse 7, and Jeremiah 48, verses 8 through 13, and later here in Ezekiel, as we'll get to. So what is this area that, that is referred to in this verse? Uh, and this is a map of that, that area in Egypt on the, on the previous map I showed, and that was this one. You see the brown area down here uh, around, around the sea and from, from the Mediterranean on, on south following the course of the Nile. So this area, look, looking at it, Cyrene uh, was an area at the north end uh, and it's not really identified as that in this in this map if I can get my cursor in the right spot but it it referred to as the area up here in the Nile Delta area and and the other city that was mentioned uh, from Migdal to Syene sorry it's the other way Migdal is at the north end and Syene is at the south end uh, in what what is now Ethiopia so and uh, it even refers to the border of Ethiopia, which also in the Bible sometimes is mentioned as, as Cush. Uh, so all the way from, from north to south, Egypt would become a wasteland for 40 years uh, and would be uh, conquered by Nebuchadnezzar. 
Now, historians will tell you that that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians never fully conquered Babylon or, or fully conquered Egypt. Uh, there were some battles between Nebuchadnezzar and the Egyptian army uh, that occurred at the northern end of this territory. Uh, I read one account where uh, there was a significant battle. It was identified uh, when when that that lasted for several years, and the commentator uh, that I was reading uh, referred to it in this way that that it would be hard for even the Babylonians to consider this a victory uh, because it was a long drawn out battle. It, it weakened both sides, truthfully, uh, but the the conquest wasn't completed. So there are those biblical commentators who who look at this passage and say that this really hasn't come to pass uh, in the history of of Egypt, that Egypt still exists. It was never a totally barren wasteland for 40 years. Uh, and I, th I think we could argue that, that, you know, its influence has waned, uh, that it really, you know, that, I, I can't put on a, on a timeline for you 40 years when Egypt was barren. <laughs> uh, but just because I can't doesn't mean that it wasn't. Uh, there's a lot of periods in, in Egyptian history as well as, you know, even after the time of Christ when when the records are sparse uh, and we can't, can't always say that, that everything did and didn't happen. But some... Some people believe, and you'll read some commentators in discussing this passage, that that some of the punishment of Egypt, like the punishment of some of the other areas that we talked about, Moab in particular, that, you know, some of these things may be waiting for uh, the end time, and that there's a tie to the the end times. Uh, we'll see as we go through this passage here as well. So continuing in our passage uh, in Ezekiel 29, verse, uh, looking at verses 13 through 15, For thus says the Lord God, At the end of the forty years I will gather the Egyptians from the peoples among whom they were scattered. Now we've seen this promise to regather uh, when we were talking about Jerusalem and, and, the, and the Jews. So he's saying here in our passage, he's going to regather the Egyptians. They're going to be influential. And I think this refers to some, some role uh, that that part of the world will have in the end times. And I, I'm not sure what it is because we really haven't seen that in, uh, didn't see in, in, in the book of Revelation at all where Egypt played a part. Uh, but there is some regathering that, that God is going to make for the nation of, of, of Egypt. Uh, and it could be something that's happened already. Uh, the commentator, the Old Testament commentators on this aren't real clear on what this means. But it says, I will turn the fortunes of Egypt and make them return to the land of Pathros, to the land of their origin, where they will be a lowly kingdom. It will be the lowest of the kingdoms, and it will never again lift itself above the nations. And I will make them so small that they will not rule over the nations. So you can see in this passage, it says he's going to regather them, but he's not going to regather them to the strength and glory that they had before. So it would be easy for us to say, you know, yes, what, what we see in Egypt now is, is a fulfillment of this passage. I mean, that would be one interpretation that you could make, and it would not be, uh, and it would not be a wrong interpretation, I don't think. This also is, is addressed uh, in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 19, verses 24 and 25. Uh, it says this, In that day, and when Isaiah is referring to in that day, this is an end times prophecy, so keep that in mind as we're reading this. In that day, Israel will be the third party with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, 
Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. You know, God promises uh, to restore the Egypt to her territory, uh, and, and we see that here in this end times prophecy in Isaiah 19. Continuing on in Ezekiel 30, and, and going back up to those verses in 5 through 8, which is talking about other nations. Uh, in in verse, verse 5, it identifies Ethiopia, Put, Lud, all Arabia, Libya, and the people of the land that is in league with them uh, by the sword. So Egypt had alliances with the nations around her. If we go back to our map, uh, we see, uh, you know, this territory, the territory, <clears throat> this isn't a very good map for this, uh, but Ethiopia, of course, is in the south, uh, put, led, uh, all Arabia. Uh, I, I kind of like the, the map that, that showed the Babylonian Empire. <laughs> uh, if you look at this map, uh, the deserts of Arabia is this yellow area down in the lower, and it's not anybody's territory. And the reason it's not anybody's territory is because there's nothing there, uh, unless you're really into sand. Uh, but that's kind of a an interesting. <laughs> so where am I at here? Sorry, I got out of order. Uh, you know, so it, it identifies these areas. Uh, and here's a this is a better map. So you've got Ethiopia in the south, Sudan, which is put. Uh, in the Saudi Peninsula, the deserts up there, all these areas are also going to fall under God's judgment because they align themselves with Egypt and, and God will bring judgment on them. And I'm not in the right place. So let me get back to this other map. There we go. So all these areas and people uh, have been put on God's radar uh, along with the nation of Egypt. It's not going to just be Egypt that is, is conquered and controlled, uh, but these other nations as well. And if we look at Ezekiel 30, verses 10 and 11, thus says, the, thus says the Lord God, I will also make the hordes of Egypt cease by the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. He's not just given a prophecy that they're going to fall, but he's also telling them who they're going to fall to. By the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he and his people with him, the most ruthless of the nations, referring to Babylon, will, will be brought in to destroy the land, and they will draw their swords against Egypt and the land and fill the land with the slain. Again, I mentioned the battle that they had with, with when they were aligned with Syria, the, the Babylonian battle with Egypt and Assyria, uh, in the northern territories that that ended up driving Egypt out of out of the Middle East and back down into Africa, so all all this has occurred, and and the Babylonian influence, although never complete, uh, certainly drew away the power that Egypt had, uh, you know, and his people with him here uh, refers to, you know, he. Babylonia had alliances with other nations as well. So all of these people would be coming against Israel and Assyria. Uh, you know, and again, Babylonia was, was not, did not have a reputation uh, of being very uh, benevolent conquesters. <laughs> uh, and I use the words a little incorrectly there. But, the, but they weren't really great people to have come and take your land. They were pretty ruthless. And they punished people to the, the fullest extent that you could even imagine. Some of the things they did to people uh, when they defeated them were just horrific. And so having Babylon come against you would have been something that would have struck fear in everyone around. Uh, continuing on, he and his people with him, those, those nations aligned with him, the most ruthless of nations will be brought in to destroy the land and they will draw their swords against Egypt and fill the land with the slain. And in Ezekiel 31, or 30, verses 21, and I don't have that 
There is no 22. I don't, yeah, there is. Sorry, I'm in the wrong page in my book. So in, in, in chapter 30, verses 21 and 22, it says, The Son of Man, I have broken the arm of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. This is referring to that battle at Carchemish that, that Egypt defeated them. So they were weakened. Pharaoh's arm was broken. He, his influence and power were defeated, partially defeated. And behold, it has not been bound up for healing or wrapped with a bandage, that it may be strong enough to hold a sword. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and will break his arms, both the strong and the broken, and I will make the sword fall from their hand. So even though they had been partially defeated, God was still going to punish them further by defeating them further, by taking the weakness that he has and, and making it complete. So this is this is what God is prophesying for the land of Egypt. Uh, and continuing on, it says the arm of Pharaoh uh, will be broken, or was broken, uh, and this happened 18 years before this prophecy. So, you know, the Battle of Carchemish, again, was fought around 605 B.C., and, I, and I've kind of covered this, so I won't do it again here. But, uh, you know, again, this was while Nebuchadnezzar was commander-in-chief of the armies, uh, and Nabopolassar was still king of Babylon. But following that battle, Nebuchadnezzar became king. Became king, And, you know, God is telling Egypt that their diminishment and strength wouldn't be restored. It would get worse. Uh, and there's worse to come. Uh, God will break Egypt. Uh, and even though uh, he will send Nebuchadnezzar against God, God is the source of the destruction against Egypt. It's not Nebuchadnezzar that has control of this battle, but it is God who has given Nebuchadnezzar the victory. Uh, and God uses his creation. He uses everything that he's created, including people, uh, to enact his will in the world. Uh, you know, just because something appears to have a human cause uh, is not evidence that God does not have a role to play in the world. So when we see things happening in the world around us today, we can take comfort in the fact that nothing happens here that God's not aware of, and nothing happens in our world that God is not going to use uh, for his glory. Uh, and in verse 19, uh, it says, they shall know. Uh, 19, verse 19 says, thus I will execute judgments on Egypt, and they will know that I am the Lord. Again, all of these things are being done to prove God's superiority in the world. God is not subservient to the king and God of Egypt, uh, but the other way around, and this will be proven. Going back to, to Ezekiel chapter 29, verse 6, it says, All the inhabitants of Egypt will know that I am the Lord. And this, uh, this passage, that Egypt will know that I am in the Lord, is repeated again and again and again through this prophecy of Egypt in these three chapters, 29, 30, well, four chapters, 29, 30, 31, and 32. And I counted seven of them very quickly. In, in Ezekiel chapter 29.6, 29.9, it says it again and again. Chapter 30, verse 8, and in, also in chapter 30, verses 8, 25, and 26 say the same thing. And in verse, chapter 32, verse 15, it repeats it again. So again and again, these things aren't doing just to punish Egypt but to show Egypt who God is and, and who the true power lies with. And it's not with Pharaoh, it's with God. So continuing on looking at Ezekiel uh, chapter 30, I know I'm jumping around a little bit here, uh, but the word, Ezekiel 30 verses 1 and 2, the word of the Lord came again to me saying, Son of man, prophesy, saying, Thus says the Lord God, Wail, 
and this is getting into some of the poetic la- language of this this book. Uh, Wail, alas for the day, for the day is near. Even the day of the Lord is near. It will be a, cl- a day of clouds, a time of doom for the nations. Now, the, I want to pay particular attention here to this phrase that's contained, <laughs> that's here, the day of the Lord. Even the day of the Lord is near me. Now, I, I did a little word search for that. Uh, you know, some of the online applications, I used Bible Gateway a lot. But you can look for phrases. In it. So I looked for this phrase, and I found out that in the NASB, uh, this phrase is, is, appears uh, 24 times in, in the NASB. And one of them refers to uh, the Sabbath being the day of the Lord. The other 23 times that it's used in the NASB, it's used in reference to uh, what Malachi describes as the, let me make the change, the great and terrible day of the Lord. So predominantly when this phrase is used in both the Old and New Testaments, it's used to refer to the end times, the day of the Lord is, is was believed in in Old Testament theology as well as in in uh, current uh, Jewish theology. This day of the Lord is the day at which which the wrath of God will come to punish all sin in the earth, and that's referring to the final day of judgment at the end of the tribulation, that final judgment that will come upon the earth. So that's. Am I doing this right? Am I still okay? <laughs> He's going to have to fix all this later. But the day of the Lord isn't something that's happening contemporary, uh, in contemporary history at that time in, in, in Egypt, but it was a day coming yet in the future. And here we kind of see the first hint uh, that the focus of the prophecies in the book of Ezekiel are going to be shifting from what's happening in the immediate time frame and geography around them to the prophecies that we're going to be seeing later in the book concerning the end times. So we are going to be talking about that quite a bit in the coming weeks. It's something for us to look forward to. There's a plug to continue listening. But this day of the Lord, uh, you know, in context... Uh, in Malachi, it says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a fur- furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and that's S U N of righteousness will will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall you will tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which i am preparing says the lord of hosts and here's the start of chapter verse four remember the law of moses my servant even the statutes and ordinances which i commanded him in horeb for all israel Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. This is referring to the end times. And that's the reference which Ezekiel makes as well. Also in in Amos uh, chapter 5 verses 18 verse 18 says this alas you who are longing for the day of the lord for what purpose will the day of the lord be to you it will be darkness and not light as when a man flees from a lion and a bear meets him or goes home and leans against his hand against the wall and a snake bites him will not the day of the lord be darkness instead of light even gloom with no brightness in it. There are two ways that we can look upon this day of the Lord. We can look upon it 
as, as either darkness or light. And for those who are living in sin and have denied Jesus Christ, it's going to be a time of darkness. But for those who believe on his name, who have been saved and brought into fellowship with God, it's going to be a time of light. So we look on that day of the Lord with anticipation and joy. But the, but the lost in the world uh, need to look upon that day of the Lord coming with dread uh, and fear. And we need to take that into account in, in the way that we approach our lives here. Uh, it is up to us. We have been sent here as ambassadors. We are ambassadors in this world. And it's our job to, to bring as many people as we can into that understanding of who God is so that they can, they can <laughs> call upon the name of the Lord uh, and, and he will save them. That redemptive power that comes from belief in Jesus Christ. Uh, it is our role uh, to, to share the gospel with them so that they might be saved from that great and terrible day of the Lord as, as, as Malachi describes it. That, 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 as Amos here in this passage says, we can look upon this as a day coming with light, that we can look upon it with, with anticipation and joy and, and, and hope uh, for the world and, and what what we have here in it. And and that's kind of what I wanted, you know, all of these pronouncements of judgments on all the nations around Israel uh, that Ezekiel talked about and, and the other prophets too. You know, these things are repeated in Jeremiah and, and Israel, uh, Isaiah talks about them as well, that, that disobedience is going to be punished. And like I said at the beginning, you know, we can see that in, in the history of the world. God punishes those who are disobedient. You know, the, this idea that we can live in a morally bankrupt world uh, without punishment and without God finally bringing his foot down and saying enough is enough. Uh, you know, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for their inequities. He destroyed nations and people groups and, and everything for disobedience. He destroyed his gifted uh, nation, the, the nation he chose. Uh, as at the beginning of Ezekiel, we talked about uh, God taking Israel like a baby cast aside in the field and, and picked her up and cleaned her up and made her a strong and, and blessed nation. And then she turned her back on, on the very hand, <laughs> bite the hand that feeds you as it will. You know, God said, just, you know, follow my commandments and you will be blessed. In the book of Deuteronomy, in the, in the book of Leviticus, he talks about, you know, he lays out, you know, this is what I expect you to do, Israel. And if you do these things, you'll be blessed. And, and if you don't do these things, uh, you will be punished. And he tells them exactly what the punishment will be, tells them exactly what the blessings will be. Uh, yet they chose uh, to follow other gods and disobey God. So all of these things have taken place in the past. And the unfulfilled promises of God aren't because God's not going to do them or not able to do them, but because he wants all men to come to the saving knowledge of himself. So that's, that's our role. Uh, that's what we need to be equipping ourselves for, to be able to defend our faith, to be able to speak to people around us and, and teach them about the saving knowledge and understanding and grace, this free gift of God. I mean, we, we are saved to do good works. We're not saved by good works. We're saved, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to go there, uh, but we are saved by grace, of this free gift that's offered to all men. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to a saving knowledge and understanding because he wants to have fellowship with each one of us. He doesn't need us. He wants us. He desires us. He wants us to have that fellowship with him. And that's my message for you today. So let's go to prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for your word, for, for the examples in Scripture that, that illustrate to us clearly uh, that you are God, that you are who you claim to be, that everything that happens in this world happens because 
you've allowed it to happen to to bring discipline to you know there there's two things that that you bring hardship on people for and one is to discipline and the other is to form and mold uh, like steel in in a furnace is is brought to a very high temperature to cleanse it from impurities and and to make it suitable for for tools and 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 implements of of use and uh for for creating food and and all of the things that that happen as a result of this refining process and father we we see hardship in our own lives and and we we experience sickness we experience hard uh difficulties financially and uh relationships sometimes get get turned upside down and and you know but everything happens because you have a plan for it because you will use uh the the things that are happening to us to bring glory and honor to you so help us as we go through each day and the people that come into our path help them to see uh these things that have happened to the world so that they may know that you are god that you are the lord that you are who you claim to be uh it's not just an empty claim but you have proven it over and over again uh through the bringing of the israelites out of egypt uh through the punishment of of israel herself through the punishment of the lands around her as we're reading here in this book uh all of these things are done for a singular purpose and that's to prove and to show so that the world may know that you are god that you are the lord So we thank you for revealing that to us. We thank you for your word that brings clarity to it. So help us to be your your ambassadors here in this world to bring more and more into that saving knowledge and understanding of who you are and what you will be doing in the coming days. Father, it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.